0: This is the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis' time as a teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following message is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading Authentic Manhood. We hope you grow in your faith and love Jesus more as you learn through these teachings. Well, three weeks, three weeks. That's how long we've been together in our manhood journey, and I don't know about you, but uh, perhaps uh, in regards to the world of women, over these last three weeks, you feel you have felt like we've traveled about 300 miles. We've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? A lot of territory. And uh, for some of you, maybe uh, some of you younger men, the experience of the last three weeks has been, been eye-opening. If nothing else, you've learned one fundamental life changing truth and that's this that living well with a woman doesn't just happen doesn't just happen living well with a woman is an acquired skill that 2,000 years ago the apostle Peter uh, stated it in this way to live in an understanding way with your woman remember that You know, recently I picked up a uh, best-selling book by Philip McGraw. The title of the book was Life Strategies. Now, a lot of you know Philip McGraw as Dr. Phil. And uh, he has made millions of dollars saying basically the same thing that the Apostle Peter has said about life and relationships. I want you to follow along with this quote from his book Life Strategies, and you'll see what I mean. He says this, There is a difference between really living and just existing. Existing is instinctual. It is involuntary, reactive, self-preserving, with the primary goal of just getting from one day to the next without regard to quality. Let me stop right there and look at me for a second. That's how a lot of men live with their wives. That's how a lot of young men date their girlfriends. Just instinctual, day-to-day existing. On the other hand, he says, living is the exercise of certain learned skills, attitudes, and abilities that you have acquired and honed. You know what that is, men? That's a 21st century way of speaking the first century wisdom of an apostle when he says husbands live don't just exist live with your wives in an understanding way with certain acquired skills and attitudes and abilities that's what he's talking about and over the last three weeks, it may be felt like we've traveled 300 miles to you. We've, we've looked at some of those acquired skills. We've talked about the needs of a woman. And you've had the opportunity to finally open your eyes to the fact that the needs of a woman are different from your needs. In fact, her top four needs involve affection and security and significance and conversational companionship. And if you had the courage to do the application project with your wife, you discovered what her number one Need was you finally got it? It opened your eyes. We learned the different personalities, and maybe over the last couple of weeks, you've finally discovered that you live with somebody whose slant on life is going to be forever different from yours because they're a powerful choleric, or a peaceful phlegmatic, or a perfect melancholy, or a popular sanguine. They're different from you. They're their grid of life will always be different. You've had the opportunity to discover the different love languages that we speak to one another, and that there's a specific love language that each of us particularly desire from another person. And you can spend your whole life speaking four of the five love languages to your mate and miss it. Their love tank is always on starve. Because you didn't have the acquired skill to understand that one of those love languages, which you've been missing, is the one that they so desperately need from you. That's a lot of ground to cover, isn't it, guys? But that's where we've been over the last three weeks. And all this understanding knowledge is what works with a woman. But, but here's what I want you to know. To put what works with a woman to work, let me say that again. To put what works with a woman to works is an entirely different matter than just knowledge. That requires something different. Not just knowing what to do. That requires, now we go all the way back to session one, that requires that paradox principle. Remember it? Back in session one when I talked to you about that absurd but possibly true statement that we summarized as die to live, I told you that that was ultimate wisdom in life. That acquiring the best in life is always going to go against my natural instincts. Therefore, if I want the best in life, I've got to die a little to get it. That's ultimate wisdom. That's life's universal success principle. And any man, listen to me, any man anywhere who is successful in any endeavor... Sounds pretty universal, doesn't it? Has learned in some way or another this paradox principle that I've got to die to something in me first if I'm going to really live in something later. That's absolutely true when it comes to living with a woman. If I want to be successful with her, then I have to learn to do the unnatural. I've got to learn to do the unselfish, the non-instinctive, the hard, the fearful. Not all the time. In fact, it's only a few moments in time. Don't, Don't think of it as onerous. I'm not having to do that all the time, but I'm having to do it some of the time. The right times. But with each of those little deaths... I get a huge surprise. I get the paradox principle. That absurd but possibly true reality. Because in dying just a little, the big surprise I get back in return is I love better. And I live better. And I learn how to live with my wife in an understanding way. The paradox principle as relates to a woman is just as you see it. Die a little, live a lot. And the authentic man embraces that as his way of life. Well, that's just a little bit of review. Now today, what we want to do is address how a man stays close to the woman he loves. And listen, most of life, long term, by the time you get to the end of your life, most of your life, as you look back, is going to involve happiness with a woman. And happiness is direct directly proportional to how close you can stay with that woman so you can feel and love and laugh and enjoy life together. But this morning I want to address three forces that are constantly trying to divide you from the woman you love. Three forces that are like wedges that come in between your relationship and if not addressed over time will slowly push you apart and keep you from the very thing that you so desperately desire. Here's the first of those. I'm just going to call it everyday conflict. And of course, we immediately identify with that because it is so common. Fights, spats, angry disagreements, misunderstandings that sometimes evolve into what I call culture wars. And that is why where you're trying to get your culture to be adopted by her so that she'll give up her her culture and join your country with your values and your taste. But I want to tell you guys, it'll never happen. (laughs) You never dominate anyone. Even when you think you finally dominated them on the inside, they're still standing up. They're still resisting. And worst of all, when they do that, even when they give in... You may have won the battle, but you've lost the war because you don't feel close, do you? I call it everyday conflict. And here's the reality. Every relationship, every relationship is going to experience conflict. That's because two people are more than just male and female. They are background different. They are life experience different. And all those differences... Create in each person a unique set of expectations and values and perspectives that they carry into the relationship. And, and when you first, for you young guys, when you first enter into that relationship, many of those values and expectations stay hidden just beneath the waterline of the relationship. Until later on, they suddenly, like jaws, come out of the water. Remember the movie Jaws? Just when you thought it was safe to go into the water? Just when you thought you were safe in the relationship, one day your mate turns to you and goes, "When are you going to pick up after yourself? Boom, boom. <laughs> Why did you buy that without asking me? Boom, boom. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. That's how life works. And suddenly you realize, we got differences here. Our differences make conflict inevitable. She grew up where money was made to be spent. You grew up where money was made to be saved. She grew up where there was a place for everything. You grew up where everything has its place. She grew up with expensive, expensive taste. You always buy the best labels count you grew up with sales taste just buy the cheapest and it doesn't matter what the label is she grew up charging it you grew up paying for cash she grew up a hugger you grew up a handshaker she grew up always late you grew up always on time She grew up in a church background where people raised their hands and shouted and screamed. You grew up where you went to church and nobody touched one another. You just sat there quiet and hoped you got out alive. (laughs) She grew up expecting the extended family to all gather together at Mother's for Christmas. You grew up expecting to always spend Christmas at your house alone. And all those differences create conflict. I remember early in my marriage, we had been married maybe just a year, and I uh, came down. We were watching television. I brought my shoes down, got out some stuff, and started shining my shoes. And my wife got up off the couch and walked upstairs and came down. And suddenly she appeared in the den with four or five pairs of her shoes and put them down in front of me. (Laughter) I said, what's this? She said, well, my daddy always shined my shoes. I wanted to say, who's your daddy? (laughs) But I didn't know that term then. All I said was, do I look like your daddy? And I meant it as a joke. And she started to cry. And I got mad. And then we had a fight over shining shoes so the question is not will there be conflict <laughs> yes I did <laughs> but you didn't need to ask that question in this room <laughs> the question is not whether there's going to be conflict the question is always going to be how do I deal with the conflict that's the question after a big fight with his wife a man was talking to his friends later and he said this he said to him well as usual after this fight she came crawling to me on her hands and knees across town unbeknownst to him his wife was with her girlfriends and she was talking about the same fight and she said well as usual I came crawling to him on my hands and knees, and then I said, Jim, get out from under that bed and talk to me like a man. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, let me tell you something, most couples do not handle conflict well for one reason, And it's because they have the wrong goal in their conflict. They have what I call the natural goal in mind when they have conflict with one another. It's the wrong goal. And here's what the goal is when you have a fight, your first thought is to win. That's the natural thought. You want to win, not understand. So the assumption behind your strategy, since your goal is to win, the assumption behind your strategy is this. I'm right. Why don't they understand that? And then you spend hours, sometimes weeks, in some cases months, trying to hammer the other person to get them to understand that you were right. Why don't you get it? And in doing that, we just drive each other further and further apart. I mentioned Dr. Phil earlier. I want to give you one other quote that I think is wise because it comes from his experiences as a therapist about conflict. Here's what he says In all the years that I've worked with couples, the most common goal of each person was not to find out how to live and behave productively. <laughs> is that an amazing statement? In all the years he's worked with couples, the most common goal was not to find out how to live. That was never the goal in mind, but to convince me, the therapist, that what they were believing or doing was correct. Seldom did either partner come to me and sincerely say, I want our marriage to work no matter who is right. What both of them usually said was, I want you to recognize that I'm right and convince my spouse that I'm right so we can do things my way. When I read that, I almost jumped up out of my chair because, you know, I've been a pastoral counselor for 35 years. I've literally had thousands of people in my office talking to them about their love life and why they don't relate well to the opposite sex. And when I read that, I said, you know, What he just said has been my exact experience. I've found for most people in conflict, it's much more important for them to be right than it is for them to work it out right. And over and over again, I've watched their marriages disintegrate while they held up the sword to win the argument rather than work out their relationship and win a life together of staying close and staying in love. Now Now, we're here this morning, and I want to congratulate you again, we're here this morning to be better than that. Our journey is a journey into authentic manhood, not pseudo-manhood, that only feels good when it wins. We're looking for something better. So I want to use this diagram for just a moment to show you how conflict can actually work for you rather than against you. You know, yesterday I talked to my son. My son is in medical school. And this week, uh, he began gross anatomy where he received a body that he's beginning to dissect. We talked about it last night. What he's discovering, like any med school student, is that basically all bodies are alike. They come in different shapes, sizes, and colors, but they really are all alike when you begin to take them apart. The reason I tell you that is because whether you know it or not, all conflicts are really alike. Some may be small, some may be large, some may be short, some may be lengthy, but all of them look like that little diagram on the screen. So we're going to dissect for just a moment the anatomy of a conflict. Okay? So here's how it starts. Of course, it starts in the center. You see it there. It starts with the conflict itself. You can put any conflict you want in there. But right after it happens, the first thing that happens to you is you have hurt feelings. And then those hurt feelings move to anger. And then that anger moves you to the first of two critical moments. Because when the anger comes, the hurt feelings come, immediately you have two choices for yourself the first choice I think is the wrong choice, it's the natural choice the first choice, and men by the way choose this choice a lot they're hurt, they're mad, they're angry and so their first choice in this critical turn of the circle is to go downward and to flee to withdraw to punish the other person with silence everybody knows there's been a a hurt there you walk around and don't say anything and it's quiet and you kick the cat a little bit and go sit down and don't when your wife asks you something you just mumble you're just kind of punishing them through silence Now for a while you may be scoring some points for your side but you know if you really think that through it's just the opposite of closeness isn't it Because when you flee in a moment like that All it does is escalate isolation. Which, as I said, is the opposite of closeness. And i got to confess to you guys, I'm good at that. Are you? I'm good at that. And sometimes, when I look back over the 33 years I've been married, I'm ashamed to say it, but sometimes, I've held out in that withdrawal for over a week. Just soured everything. It's easy to do. I I read a story of a guy who did that to his wife for a month. And finally she got so tired of the the, the quiet, the kind of the the eerie silence, that she finally just came to Fred. She said, Fred, I can't take this anymore. And she said, why don't we just get down on our knees right now and just ask God to take one of us. (laughs) And he said, what then? And she said, then I'll go live with my sister in Detroit. <laughs> but see, you can, you can take that path. You can withdraw, which men are good at, or you can make another decision, the better decision. The better decision is to choose to face the conflict. And the quicker, the better. Now, in this moment of choosing to face the conflict, immediately you encounter the second of those two very critical decisions because you can take two paths at this point. Now that you've chosen to face the conflict rather than flee from it, you can take, a, again, what I think is the wrong choice, and that is to fight. See, you can choose to fight. Now, you know, I'm going to face this conflict, but I'm going to face it with the goal to win. And so I go back to my wife or I go back to my girlfriend and say, we're going to talk about this But then in talking about it, what I really mean is I'm going to accuse her. I'm going to make demands. I'm going to put her down. I'm going to denigrate. Because my goal is to get her to admit she was wrong. I'm in this to win. But as you guys have found, oftentimes in doing that, all that does is escalate the conflict. What started as just a little fight now grows into a much bigger war. Both of those decisions, wrong decisions, to flee or to fight are what I call death spirals. And we've all fallen into those kind of exit ramps away from what conflict is supposed to do. It's supposed to, guys, believe it or not, conflict is supposed to work for you. But when we take these exit ramps, it works against us. There is a better choice. And the other choice is for me to kind of pull back, recognize the goal is not to win and move into it in a different way. To just move into it with dialogue. Uh, It always starts this way. Hey, we need to talk. Let's talk. And if I'm doing that correctly, what I'm inviting the other person into is a dialogue, not a monologue and not a diatribe. A A dialogue where we can converse with one another because I'm really now in this to solve the problem, not win the battle. And out of that will come some good things. Out of that comes understanding. Out of that comes forgiveness. Out of that comes compromise. Those are all good things. And listen, if I achieve it, if I've made the circle and get to that point, then immediately two things happen that work for me. The first is the conflict is resolved. And the second thing is that we grow closer together. Remember, we come from two different cultures. But in this one little conflict, we've inched a little closer together with one another. We understand each other a little better. Our values become closer together. Uh, We we feel a a deeper sense of oneness. And over time, as a couple completes that circle again and again in a hundred different little areas, as they get to be 30, 40, 50 years old, their love relationship turns golden because they really do become one. Now look at that, that, that diagram just for a moment. That, that's, that's an important diagram to remember. That's the anatomy of a conflict. And here's the principle. Conflict can either grow you as a couple closer together or it can force you further apart. You can flee. You can flee. You can fight. Or you can make this circle that you see here the circle of life. It can actually be the circle of life for you. Let me give you a key insight. Here's the key insight it's the wise couple who learns how to resolve conflict quickly and correctly. The diagram that you have on the front of your outline is the way to do it correctly. But we have to go back to ancient wisdom to understand that we need to do it quickly. Let me give you the words of another apostle. This is the apostle Paul. Here's how he says that you should deal with anger and conflict. In Ephesians 4.26, he says this, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Earlier in that text, he said, You can be angry, Anger is not a thing to be avoided. We get angry at times. Conflict is inevitable. But when it comes, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. My wife reminded me of that a number of years ago after we had had a fight. We had this fight and I can't even remember what it was about, but I remember that uh, she wanted to engage me in the dialogue. And I decided to take the natural way Flee. So I said, I'm going for a jog. And I went and put my jogging stuff on, went out and jogged, and uh, came back. And when I came back, she was there, kind of waiting for me, hoping I would talk, but I'd kind of hardened in the jog. Been there? So I walked past her, didn't say a word, walked back to take a shower. When I got to the bathroom, on the bathroom door was a sticky note. And the sticky note had a little happy face on it. And underneath it said, let's talk. And I looked at that and I went, right. <laughs> She's wrong. I'm right. Talk's not going to get us anywhere. So I pulled the thing off, opened the bathroom door, walked in, looked up at the bathroom mirror. And there was another sticky note. It had a happy face on it. And underneath it had the word, please, And I got to admit, I wavered just a little bit at that point. (laughs) Well, well, maybe I ought to do that. But seeing as I was in the ministry, and being in the ministry, you're always right. I said, nah, I'm going to wait it out a little further. So I went and got in the shower, turned on the shower, looked up, and there on the shower nozzle was a third sticky note. This time it had a face, but it wasn't a happy face. It had a mouth turned down, looking sour. It also had a little picture of a sun going down. And it said, You'll be sorry. <laughs> I asked her later, How'd you know it's going to take three notes? She said, I've been around you long enough. Let me say it again it's the wise couple who resolves conflict quickly and correctly and who uses it to grow together rather than being pushed apart. Beware of conflict. Understand the anatomy of a conflict. Let me tell you, the guy who learns to die to live in conflict, remember those two critical moments on the diagram? We had the fight. I got my feelings hurt. Here's one of those critical die to live moments, the paradox principle. Am I going to flee or face it? I'm going to die to live. It's not going to feel natural ever. I'm going to face it. Then I got a next critical moment. Am I going to fight or am I going to die to live? If I choose to die to live as an authentic man, then I'm going to say, let's talk, and I'm going to seek resolve rather than to win. And you know what I'm going to get in back? A better life. A better life. I died a little, but now I'm living a whole lot better. Let's look at a second enemy of staying close. I call it creeping separateness. Creeping separateness. Sheldon Vonnegut defines this enemy probably better than any when he writes these words. The killer of love is creeping separateness. Inloveness is a gift of the gods, but then it is up to the lovers to cherish it or to ruin it. Taking love for granted, especially after marriage, ceasing to do things together, finding separate interests, we turning into I, self, self self-regard, what I want to do, actual selfishness, only a hop away. This is the way of creeping separateness. And in the modern world, everything favors it. The man going off to his office, the woman staying home with the children, her children, or perhaps having a different job. The failure of love might seem to be caused by hate or boredom or unfaithfulness with a lover, but those are only the results. First came the creeping separateness, the failure behind the failure. That's a powerful statement. I remember years ago, it was probably the worst time in our marriage. We just had our second child. And after having our second child, what little time that we had for one another after we had our first child and working jobs disappeared. Suddenly it wasn't natural to get together anymore. My wife was struggling with the kids during the day and with this newborn during the night and what time I even gave to that. I was working my first job, working really hard, probably too hard, but not so hard that I gave up playing after work. Still got with my buddies and played basketball. Still worked out at the club. Still found time to go out at night even though my wife couldn't go. That's the creeping selfishness. And as that went on for a while, we began to move apart feelings of love began to fade and then one day I shocked myself I suddenly felt this incredible attraction to another woman oh it wasn't a little lust this was a dark magnetic pull and I came ever so close and you know why Because for both my wife and for me, we thought our love could stand the test of neglect. And what we found was incredibly humbling. We found that it couldn't. And without some fast backpedaling, it wouldn't have. That's what I mean by creeping separateness. It's what I call the silent killer. And what a man needs to ask his woman and himself continually is this, and it would be a good little exercise for you to do it even this week. Just ask the question, do you feel close to me? Do I feel close to you? And if either party can't answer that with a hearty yes, it means some serious interaction needs to take place. Even better than asking that question are some smart moves, that a man can make that will guarantee closeness. And I want to give you two of them for you. These are just real practical tips for you guys. Here's the first. You need to commit to a winning strategy. And what is that winning strategy? I want to give you three things in that winning strategy. First, what I call weekly escapes that become your communication connectors. Now, the reason I put escapes, that's an important word is because that's exactly what it is. It's not being with friends, it's not being with the kids, it's not being in an activity. It's you and your wife or you and your girlfriend being alone. Just alone. And it has to be weekly, guys. Weekly. Some aloneness to catch up and process life together. That meets the conversational need of a woman, which is one of her major conversational I mean, one of her major needs as you remember. But it also meets a great need that you have. And that is to build into your wife correctly and to love her in a way that changes her life. Sharon and I began to do that years ago. We still do it. In fact, our most regular time is to go out on a Sunday night after all the activity of the week is over and there's the beginning of a new week ahead of us. And we'll slip away for coffee or dessert and spend uh, at least two hours together. Just talking, face-to-face, processing life and the problems that we face and the things that we're excited about. But let me tell you, it's a little, little discipline, but it pays huge dividends because you don't get surprised during the week of not knowing this is happening or not knowing that's happening or being unaware of that problem. It's great catch-up time, and wise is the man who has these weekly escapes. Secondly, what I call monthly experiences. That become your companionship keepers the key point in this is just doing life together it's common sense kind of stuff and you'll say why do you even mention this it's like going for a walk together going to a concert or a football game or working in the yard together or shopping together having friends over together a weekend getaway together but do you hear a common word in all that It's together. This is your companion for life. And yet, because of creeping self separateness, here's what often happens. You get into a fast-paced job with friends and your own personal recreations, and she gets into her job and the kids, and all of a sudden it becomes her kids, and she's got her clubs and her activities, and the only time you ever really cross in a connectedness is at a kid's event. And then the kids leave. And you find yourself in two different universes because you didn't take the time to keep building in these monthly companionship keepers. Mark it down again. I've mentioned it once. The couple that plays together stays together. And if you sacrifice it, guys, you're setting yourself up. In the most important relationship of your life for failure. Then lastly, what I call yearly extravaganzas that become your shared memory makers. I'm really big on this one. Because I found that making great memories together, maybe just once a year, gives lifetime positive energy to the relationship. It never goes away. You make a great memory with your wife that memory comes back and replays itself again and again in an energetic way in your relationship. I had that experience just this week. My wife and I were sitting down watching a little TV and a commercial came up and it came up and it was about this retired couple who were having a moment it said of a lifetime. They had saved well and all that and they were in Venice, Italy and they were on a gondola and they looked real romantic. I mean they were probably 65, 70 years old. They were hugging on one another and while that commercial was on my wife jumped up out of her chair, came over and jumped on me in the sofa and snuggled up real romantically and looked at me and she said, been there, done that. And then for just a moment, all that positive energy <clears throat> of that moonlight canal ride under the Pontavicchia Bridge in Venice all came back to us. Those memories multiplied many times just keep spilling energy into your relationship. You can relive them again and again, and it brings you close. Wise is the man who will do these kind of things. And so, guys, I'm going to tell you, you need to commit to that strategy. And here's the thing not just commit to it, here's the second major thing. Will you commit to be the one who initiates this strategy? That could be one of your ten key moves. Remember the ten key moves sheet I gave in session one? This would be a good time to pull it out and go, you know, I need to make a lifetime memory. Or I need to start dating my wife kind of weekly for these conversational moments. That's how you combat creeping separateness. Then the last thing I want to mention to you, it's another creeps. (laughs) It's what I call creeping resentment. Creeping resentment. You know, according to the Bible... And I'm using the Bible's wisdom here. Men in particular are in danger of falling to resentment. There's even a scripture, by the way, doesn't ever say this to the woman in the Bible, but it does say it to men. It warns them about resentment. Here it is, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, do not become embittered, resentful, against your wives. I've always had to ask myself the question, why did God feel it necessary to tell us, men, not to be resentful or bitter against our wives. The Bible doesn't answer that, so really we can only speculate, but maybe it's because we men, if we're honest, we're just more demanding in relationships than a woman is. i got to confess, I want it my way a lot more than my wife wants it her way. And I get impatient with her on that. I don't want to hear about how cold she is at night. I want her to wear the nice, sexy nightie rather than that wool sweatsuit with hunter's socks so she can stay warm. And when she wants to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it because women are better at talking about it. So instead, what I want to do is stew and get angry and get bitter. And resentful. That's, that's the natural tendency of me as a man. It's called creeping resentment and if it builds up, the closeness dies. To keep my relationship with my wife or girlfriend rich, every man needs to ask this question. What growing resentment, if any, and maybe there's not any, am I carrying towards my woman right now? Did you know that research tells us that of all the human emotions resentment and bitterness is the most powerful and the most destructive? You start harboring that, and even if it's justified, not dealing with it will change you because here's what it does. It makes you, whether you even know it or not, or aware of it or not, it makes you an unhealthy person, and it becomes, begins to poison everything in a relationship and everything about you. Resentment is a, it, it's a cancer to closeness. So here are some smart moves a man can make to protect himself from this enemy. First, let me just move through them quickly. Right now, for every guy in the room, if you're in a relationship with a woman, right now, why don't you just look inside yourself and check your temperature towards her? If it's on warm, you're in good shape. But right now, if even in mentioning this, something comes to the surface and it starts feeling hot And there's an issue there that you need to take note of. Is it how she handles the money? Is it she's not attending to your needs? Is it she's unorganized and sloppy? Not sexually responsive enough? But you don't have the courage to talk it through, so you're just stewing. And thinking that if you stew long enough, maybe you can make it sense and put the jigsaw puzzle together and it'll be okay, but instead it just keeps fomenting like Mount St. Helens, pressure on you and ultimately on her. Check your temperature. Secondly, a smart move is write your resentment down in an I statement. Now this is gonna sound a little bit like cycle babble, but it's, it's probably the most important thing in the smart move. Because if you're gonna talk about it, you need to know how to talk about it. And in order to talk about it, whatever you're feeling hot about, you need to put it into an I statement. Because that will serve you in the opening of the dialogue. Here's what I mean by that. Instead of saying, Look at this visa bill, you're a financial first grader, you're trying to run us into bankruptcy, you can start that way. <laughs> or you can sit down in a calmer moment and write it out into an nice I statement and just simply say this Honey, let's sit down. You know, I'm very uncomfortable about where our money's going we need to talk about it that's a better way of entering into the dialogue you can say you know you don't care about me all you care about is the kids i'm working my rear off and i don't get anything you can start there or you can say in a calmer moment you know honey i need your support i feel alone i need you We can get there from there. That's what I mean. It's a critical moment in the smart moves, this I statement. And once you have it, then you communicate it. That's the third step. In a discussion, in a safe place where you and your woman have time to talk. And then as you talk, what you're seeking is not to win. You're seeking to get close. You're smart. You're an authentic man now. So you're seeking a resolution you both can live with. Because just like in politics, marriage is the art of compromise. And I can tell you, as a counselor, as a professional counselor, nine times out of ten, when you have that dialogue and you and your wife find a compromise and meet each other in the middle, nine times out of ten, for those objective observers, that's the right spot to be. That's the right place to be. That's probably the correct answer. One thing I can assure you, you meet them halfway... It's better than no way, isn't it? And then finally, let's just say in a few cases you can't. You can't get agreement. If you can't work it out by yourselves, then you need to seek mutually agreed upon outside help immediately. That may sound like a, well, that sounds strong. But resentment is just that dangerous. And going to this level of saying, you know, I love you too much to let this thing keep growing in me You're the man. Look into her eyes and say, I I want to be close to you, and I'm going to do whatever's necessary. I'm going to help us. We need to do whatever's necessary. Invite whoever is necessary into this thing to help us stay close for a lifetime. Well, guys, there you have it. Three forces that drive that loving feeling out of us for one another and three ways to combat these enemies of closeness. But here's what I want you to know at the end. Remember the paradox principle. You will have to die a little for these three ways that I've given you today to work for you. You're going to have to die a little. But then listen. Everybody look up here for a moment because we're finished. But then listen. Nothing over a lifetime is sweeter more fulfilling, more satisfying, more at a deep level happy than staying close to a woman that you love for a lifetime. Isn't that right? Now, next week, next week, next week, we're going to take on a man's favorite subject and his number one recreation sex. Okay? So I know you'll not want to miss that. But until then, stay close. Thank you for listening to this week's message. It really helps us when you rate and review this podcast. If you found today's teaching helpful, take time to do that today. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. Visit soundofarose.com for any of your podcasting needs.